Chapter 18 of The Four Pools Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Pools Mystery by Jean Webster. Chapter 18 Terry Arrives at a Conclusion. And now, said Terry, lighting a fresh cigar and after a few preliminary puffs, settling down to work again, we will consider the case of Cat Eye Mose, a beautiful name, by the way, and apparently a beautiful character. It won't be my fault if we don't make a beautiful story out of him. You yourself, I believe, hold the opinion that he committed the murder. I am sure of it, I cried. In that case, laughed Terry, I should be inclined to think him innocent. I shrugged my shoulders. There was nothing to be gained by getting angry. If Terry chose to regard the solving of a murder mystery in the light of a joke, I had nothing to say, though I did think he might have realized that to me, at least, it was a serious matter. And you base your suspicions, do you not, upon the fact that he has queer eyes? Not entirely. Upon what, then? Upon the fact that he took part in the struggle which ended in my uncle's death. Well, certainly, that does seem rather conclusive. There is no mistake about the footprints. None whatever. The Mathers niggers both wore shoes, and anyway they didn't go into the cave. In that case, I suppose it's fair to assume that Mose took part in the struggle, whether he was the only man or whether there was still a third. The cave itself ought to tell a pretty clear story. Terry rose and paced up and down the room once or twice, and then came back and picked up one of the newspaper clippings. It says here that the boot marks of two different men are visible. That's the sheriff's opinion, I replied, though I myself can't make out anything but the marks of Mose and the Colonel. I examined everything carefully, but it's awfully mixed up, you know. One really can't tell much about it. Terry impatiently flung himself into the chair again. I ought to have come down last week. If I had supposed you people could muddle matters up so thoroughly, I should. I dare say you've trampled the whole place over till there isn't one of the original marks left. Look here, Terry, I said. You act as if Virginia belonged to you. We've all been working our heads off over this business, and you come in at the last moment and quarrel with our data. You can go over tomorrow morning and collect your own evidence, if you think it's so far superior to anyone else's. The marks are just as they were. Boards have been laid over them, and nothing's been disturbed. You're rather done up, old man, Terry remarked smiling across at me good-humouredly. Of course, it's quite on the cards that Cat Eye Mose committed the crime, but there are a number of objections. As I understand it, he has the reputation of being a harmless, peaceable fellow, not very bright but always good-natured. He never resented an injury, was never known to quarrel with anyone, took what was given him and said thank you. He loved Colonel Gaylord and watched over his interests as jealously as a dog. 
Well, now, is a man who has had this reputation all his life, a man whom everybody trusts, very likely go off the hook as suddenly as that and, with no conceivable motive, brutally kill the master he has served so faithfully? A man's future is in a large measure determined by his past. That may be true enough, I said, but it is very possible that people were deceived in Mose. I have been suspicious of him from the moment I laid eyes on him. You may think it unfair to judge a man from his physical appearance, but I wish you could once see Cat-Eye Mose yourself, and you would know what I mean. The people around here are used to him and don't notice it so much, but his eyes are yellow, positively yellow, and they narrow in the light just like a cat's. One night he drove Radnor and me home from a party, and I could actually see his eyes shining in the dark. It's the most gruesome thing I ever saw, and take that on top of his habits. He carries snakes around in the front of his shirt. Really, one suspects him of anything. I hope he isn't dead, Terry murmured wistfully. I'd like a personal interview. He sat sunk down in his chair for several minutes, intently examining the end of his fountain pen. Well, he said, rousing himself, it's time we had a shy at the ghost. We must find out what way Radnor and Mose were connected with him, and in what way he was connected with the robbery. Radnor could help us considerable if he could only talk. The fact that he won't talk is very suggestive. We'll get at the truth without him, though. Suppose you begin and tell me everything from the first appearance of the hand. I should like to get him tabulated. The first definite thing that reached the house, I replied, was the night of my arrival when the roast chicken was stolen. I've told you that in detail. And it was that same night that Aunt, whatever her name is, saw the ghost in the laurel walk. I nodded. Did she say what it looked like? It was white. And when you searched the cabins, did you go into the one where the grain is stored? No, Mose dropped his torch at the entrance, and anyway, Rad said there was no use in searching it. It was already full to the brim with sacks of cornmeal. Do you think that Radnor was trying to divert you from the scene? No, I am sure he hadn't a suspicion himself. And what did the thing look like that you saw Mose carrying to the cabins in the night? It seemed to me a large black bundle, I have thought since that it might have been clothes or blankets or something of that sort. So much for the first night, said Terry. Now, how soon did the ghost appear again? Various things were stolen after that, and the servants attributed to the hand, but the first direct knowledge I had was the night of the party, when Radnor acted so strangely. I told you of his going back in the night. He was carrying something, too. Yes, he had a black bundle. It might have been clothes. And after that he and Mose were in constant consultation. Yes, they both encouraged the belief in the hand among the Negroes and did their best to keep everyone away from the laurel walk. I overheard Mose several times telling stories to the other Negroes about the terrible things the hand 
would do ever caught them. And he himself didn't show any fear over the stories. Not the slightest. Appeared rather to enjoy them. And Radnor, how did he take the matter? He was moody and irritable. I could see that something was preying on his mind. How did you explain the matter to yourself? I was afraid he had fallen into the clutches of someone who was threatening him, possibly levying blackmail. But you didn't make any attempt to discover the truth. Well, it was Rad's own affair, and I didn't want the appearance of spying. I did keep my eyes open as much as I could. And the colonel, how did he take all this excitement about the hand? It bothered him considerably but Rad kept him from hearing it as much as he could. When did the hand appear again after the party? Oh, by that time all sorts of rumours were running about among the Negroes. The whole place was haunted, and several of the plantation hands had left. But the next thing that we heard directly was in the early evening before the robbery, when Mose, appearing terribly frightened, said he had seen the hand rising in a cloud of blue smoke out of the spring-hole. And how did the colonel and Radnor take this? The colonel was angry because he had been bragging about Mose not being afraid, and Rad was dazed. He didn't know what to think. He hustled Mose out of the way before we could ask any questions. And what did you think? Well, I fancied at the time that he had really seen something, but as I thought it over in the light of later events, I came to the conclusion that he was shaming, both then and in the middle of the night when he roused the house. That is, you wished to think him shamming, in order to prove his complicity in the robbery and the murder, and so you twisted the facts to suit your theory. I don't think you can say that. I returned somewhat hotly. It's merely a question of interpreting the facts. He didn't gain much by raising all that hullabaloo in the middle of the night. Why, yes, that was done in order to throw suspicion on the hint. Oh, I see, laughed Terry. Well, now, let's get to the end of this matter. Was any more seen of the hint after that night? No, at least not directly. For five or six days everyone was so taken up with the robbery that the hand excitement rather died down. Then I believe there were some rumours among the Negroes, but nothing much reached the house. And since the murder, nothing whatever has been seen of the hand. I shook my head. Just give me a list of the things that were stolen. Well, the roast chicken, a box of cigars, some shirts off the line, a suit of Rad's pyjamas, a French novel, some brandy, quite a lot of things to eat, fresh loaves of bread, preserves, a boiled ham, sugar, coffee, oh, any amount of stuff. The niggers simply helped themselves and laid it to the hand. One of the carriages was left out one night, and in the morning the cushions were gone and two lap robes. At the same time, a water-pail was taken and a pair of Jake's overalls, and then to end up came the robbery of the safe. The hand had Catholic tastes. Any of the things turned up since? Yes, a number of things, such as blankets and clothes and dishes, have gradually drifted back. 
The carriage cushions and lap robes ever find them? Never a trace, and why anyone should want them, I don't know. What color were the lap robes? Plain black broadcloth. Terry got up and paced about a few moments, and then came back and sat down. One thing is clear, he said. There are two hats. Two hats? What do you mean? Just what I say. Suppose for convenience we call them hat number one and hat number two. Number one occupied apartments over the grain bin and haunted the laurel walk. He was white. I don't wonder at that if he spent much time crawling over those flower sacks. He smoked cigars and read French novels. Mose waited on him and Radnor knew about him and didn't get much enjoyment out of the knowledge. It took money to get rid of him, a hundred dollars down and the promise of more to come. Radnor himself drove him off in the carriage the night he left, and Mose obliterated all traces of his presence, so much for number one. As for number two, he appeared three or four days before the robbery and haunted pretty much the whole place, especially the region of the spring hole. In appearance he was nine feet tall, transparent and black. Smoke came from his mouth and blue flames from his eyes. There was sulfurous odour about him. He was first seen rising out of the spring hole, and there is a passage in the bottom of the spring hole that leads straight down to hell. Solomon is my authority. I asked him how he explained the apparition, and he reckoned it was the ghost of the slave who was beaten to death, and that since his old master had come back to haunt the laurel walk, he had come back to haunt his old master. That sounds to me like a plausible explanation. As soon as it's light, I'll have a look at the spring hole. Terry, I said disgustedly. That may make a very picturesque newspaper story, but it doesn't help much in unravelling the mystery. It helps a good deal. I would not like to swear to the flames or sulphur or the passage down to hell, but the fact that he was tall and black and comes from the spring hole is significant. He was black. Mark that. So were the stolen lap robes. Now you see how the matter stands on the night of the robbery. While ghost number one was out driving with Radnor, ghost number two entered the house through the open library window, found the safe ajar, and helped himself. Let's consider what he took. Five thousand dollars in government bonds, two deeds, an insurance policy, and a quart of small change. A very suggestive lot of loot, if you think about it. After the robbery, he disappeared. Nothing seen of him for five or six days. Then he returned up again for a day or so, and finally disappeared forever. So much for Hant number two. He's the party we're after. He pretty certainly robbed the safe, and he possibly committed the murder. As to that, I won't have any proof until I see the cave. He stretched his arms with a laugh. Oh, this isn't so bad. All we've got to do now is to identify those two ghosts. I'm glad if you think it's so easy, I said somewhat sullenly, but I will tell you one thing. If you go basing and deductions on Solomon's stories, 
you'll find yourself bumping against a stone wall. We'll have Rad over to dinner with us tomorrow night, Terry declared. He rose and pulled out his watch. It's a quarter before ten. I think it's time you went to bed. You look about played out. You haven't been sleeping much of late. No, I can't say that I have. I ought to have come down at once, said Terry, but I'm always so blamed afraid of hurting people's feelings. I stared slightly. I had never considered that one of Terry's weak points, but, as he seemed to be quite in earnest, I let the remark pass. Do you think I could knock up one of the stable men to drive me to the village? I know it's pretty late, but I've got to send a couple of telegrams. Telegrams? I demanded. Where to? Terry laughed. Well, I must send a word to the post dispatch to the effect that the Luray mystery grows more mysterious every hour, that the police have been wasting their energies on the wrong scent, but that the post dispatcher's special correspondent has arrived on the scene, and that we may accordingly look for a speedy solution. What is the second one? I asked to your friend, the police commissioner of Seattle. You don't think that Jeff... My dear fellow, I don't think, unless I have facts to think about. Don't look so nervous. I'm not accusing him of anything. I merely want more details than you got. I'm a newspaper man, remember, and I like local colour even in telegrams. And now go to bed, and for heaven's sake go to sleep. The case is in the hands of the post-dispatcher's young man, and you needn't worry any more. End of chapter 18